0: The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty, and happy Easter Church family. So good to see everyone here to worship the risen Lord, and uh, what a great time to come together to hear God's word. So please join me in prayer before we enter the time of preaching God's word. Father, we thank you for your resurrection, so your resurrected son. Thank you that we're able to gather together to acknowledge the greatest moment in the history of the world. That you, Jesus, defeated the grave, defeated sin and death to make all things good for your people. So, Lord, we we call for your power, your Holy Spirit, to be able to empower the preaching of your word. We pray for your power to to have changed lives in here through the preaching and hearing of your word. So thank you, Father, for this time to come together and to preach about the personal Savior. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The personal Savior, Jesus Christ himself. Christianity is the greatest movement in human history. It is the greatest movement in human history. Christianity has rocked the world. It's never been the same since Christ came. And what's unique about Christianity, you may ask? Perhaps you're new. Perhaps you're a guest. Perhaps you've been sitting in church for many years. How would you answer that? What is unique about Christianity? From other, all other movements, all other belief systems, this world has to offer It's unique because of this. It all centers on one historical figure. One historical figure. It's all about Jesus Christ. We're all theologians to some degree. But if you could tell people Christianity is about Jesus Christ, you're on the right track. It's an undeniable fact that Jesus Christ walked the earth 2,000 years ago. For instance, we recognize two global holidays Christmas and Easter. Why do we do that? We celebrate Christmas to commemorate Jesus Christ's birth. We celebrate Easter today to celebrate and commemorate His resurrection. Jesus Christ captured the world of art and literature. Masterpieces have been painted and sculpted throughout the centuries. More songs have been written and sung about Christ. More Volumes of books have been produced telling people about Christ. His influence has birthed a modern-day education system where people have the conviction that the common man must learn how to read. Not just to read, but so they could read the Bible, God's Word. The university system was established to train preachers so preachers could be educated to properly preach the Word to the people. Massive cathedrals and houses of worship have been erected all around every inhabited continent. He even established a worldview to care for one another, where, which he has inspired many humanitarian efforts and causes to be birthed and to go out to the world. Medical experts have been trained for this purpose. Hospitals have been established in his name. It's primarily because of Christ. And he alone, now, this is an undeniable fact. He alone is a singular towering figure which divides all of human history. What do I mean by that? Well, you got B.C., before Christ, in A.D., the year of our Lord, the time after Christ. We live in 2022 A.D. Undeniable that Jesus Christ walked the earth. And he's had an incredible impact. James Montgomery Boyce, a preacher from the past, says Christianity is a historical religion. It is a religion that is not primarily based on an idea or philosophy. Most of the religions of the world can exist apart from their founder. In other words, you you do not have to have a historical Buddha to have Buddhism. All you you have to have is the Buddhist teachings. So also, with many other religions, this is not the case of Christianity. If you take away the history, if you reduce it, as some have tried to do to a religion of mere ethics or ideas, Christianity evaporates. Gone. This is because Christianity is linked to the life and accomplishments of Christianity's founder, Jesus Christ. The point is this. The point is we cannot miss Christ. If you miss Christ, you miss Christianity. Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. Jesus Christ brings us into right personal relationship with God the Father. And God's salvation plan has always been personal because Jesus Christ, the Savior, is very personal. And so Christianity is about having a personal knowledge of Christ, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So today we're going to focus on... The personal nature of the Savior. So listen up. We're going to be able to know and and go deeper into our faith. But if you're not a Christian today, and your friends or family members have invited you, listen very carefully. This is the message that could change your life for eternity. So we'll be at Acts chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, let's turn to Acts chapter 1, 1 through 11. As you're turning there, Acts was written by Dr. Luke. A medical doctor, Dr. Luke, was the Apostle Paul's personal physician and companion. And he was very meticulous. He did did careful investigation to determine, to understand, to document and compile a historical record of Jesus Christ in the early church. He surveyed eyewitnesses and firsthand testimony to understand who Jesus Christ was. And he compiled the two volumes set in the Bible, the Gospel of Luke, or the book of Luke, which chronicles the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, and the book of Acts, where we're in today. And Acts chronicles the Acts of the apostles, the early apostles, Jesus' personal messengers of who he sent out. So Acts 1, 1 through 1-11, is the bridge between Luke and Acts. This is the link that uh, passes on from Jesus' ministry onto the apostles ministry so let's rise if you're able to we'll be at acts chapter 1 1 through 11 we do this to honor god's word acts 1 1 through 11 god's word says this the first account i composed theophilus about all that jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the holy spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. And speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said you heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together... They were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power, power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he has said these things, he was lifted up. While they were looking on, and a cloud received them out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They said to the men of Galilee, Why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We want to honor you by focusing on what you have to say to us through your word. Thank you, Lord. Give us a clear picture of the Savior today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat. Just so we can follow along a little bit easier, I'm going to give you five five road markers on our journey today as we journey to see the personal Savior in a more intimate way. Number one, signpost number one is the personal pics. And we'll go over them as each point comes up. But number two, personal presentations. Presentation. Number three, personal power. Number four, personal purpose. And five, fifth, and finally, personal promise. Personal promise. The year is 1978. The largest air, sea, search in Hawaiian history was taking place. All of Hawaii was deployed to search for him. The legend was lost at sea. A.D.I. Kau. A.D.I. Kau was a legendary surfer and lifeguard on the North Shores of Oahu. He's accounted for saving over 500 people in the treacherous waves of the North Shore. Sometimes the waves could reach up to 20 feet high. And he was lost at sea. Helicopters, boats, divers were deployed to go look for his body, go look for him. And Eddie Aikau was a singular purpose for deploying this massive rescue effort. It's very clear to everyone who was involved and everyone who was praying back at home over the media that this was about Eddie Aikau. Likewise, God did not deploy His one and only Son for a random group of people. Would God send His one and only Son not knowing who He's going to save? So the first point goes to this. The Savior came for His personal picks. picks. Verses 1 through 2. Says this, the first account I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. The first account is the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, which, like I said earlier, chronicles the life, death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus Christ, the greatest figure in all of human history. And it all began with an incarnation where God revealed himself in a personal way by coming down to live with his creation. Do you believe this? That God himself, Jesus Christ, the creator of all things, took on human skin. The incarnation took on human skin and lived amongst us 2,000 years ago. Luke 1.35 says that he was born of a virgin. Sinless. And God took on human skin. He became... The God-man. Fully God and fully man. This is a miracle. This is a miracle. And it said that he lived a perfect, sinless life. The righteous life. He never sinned. He never thought one bad thing. The perfect life. And at the age of 30, he began his public ministry. And then what did he do after the age of 30? He primarily focused in on a group of people. Verse 2 says this, After he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen, the God-man came to earth to handpick his people, and he had a group of leaders that he chose himself. Apostles whom he had chosen, the Bible says. In his final three years of ministry on earth, he didn't go to a bunch of people. He spent primarily his time with 12 men with a distinct group of people. He shared his life with them. He ate, he traveled, he trained, he did ministry together with these 12. And these men were personally elected, personally selected by God. John 15, 16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, that you will bear much fruit. Right? And this is important for us to understand this. This rescue mission, the Savior was deployed, sent by the Father for a specific group of people. Initially, the 12 were the leaders that he called. But through the ministry of the 12, just like the apostles were chosen for salvation and service, the Savior chose you and me, Christians I'm talking to, to be part of his family. He handpicked us before the foundations of the world. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. This is a signature text on clearly talking about how God had you and me in mind, Christians, before the foundations of the world. Verse 3. Ephesians 1. Go to your right a little bit from Acts. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Here it is. Verse 4. Just as He chose us in Him. How long ago, before the foundation of the world, before anything was created, God chose you and me, Christians, to become part of His family. That we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. He predestined us. Predestined us. Handpicked us. Got the ball rolling for our salvation. Had the plan to come get you and me to be joined as family. He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. To himself, according to the kind intention of his will. Isn't it clear? God's salvation or rescue plan was not a shotgun approach. Where he comes down to earth, God comes down to earth, Jesus Christ comes down to earth and says, I wonder who I'm coming to save. I wonder who's going to believe in me. I wonder who I'm going to call brother and sister. I wonder who's going to be adopted into our family. No, 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 no. It wasn't a shotgun approach, brothers and sisters. His aim was like a laser-focused rifle shot. He knew exactly who he's coming to get. Boom, boom, boom. He's coming, and he had intentionally come to get the 12 at first. And just like he intentionally came to share his life with the apostles, Jesus Christ personally to share his life with you and me. God himself, his rescue mission is very personal. Brothers and sisters, he had you and me in mind always from the very beginning. I and mean, that's a deep thought now. Before you are born, you are being formed in your mama's womb. Before you even a thought generation. Before your grandparents and great-grandparents were even a thought. Before, let there be light. God had you and me in mind. Isn't that an amazing thought? He is a personal Savior. But not only did He come for His personal picks, point number two, the Savior made His personal presentations. Presentations. Verse 3. To these He also presented Himself alive after His suffering by many convincing proofs appearing to them over a period of 40 days. After His suffering, not only did He come and have us chosen, He came to die for us. This is what Good Friday is about. Christ's death, Christ's payment, Christ's ransoming, Christ redeeming you and me, Christians, from our sin so that He could forgive us. Romans 3, 23-26 says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, eternal destruction. Jesus redeemed or paid the penalty for our sins on the cross on Good Friday. That's why it was good. In other words, someone must pay the price for our sin, and that was God himself, Jesus Christ, to propitiate or satisfy, this is a big word, church, to propitiate, to satisfy God's wrath and turn it into favor for his people. See, this is a very important doctrine that we understand, that God is angry towards sinners. But if you have trusted your life in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, that wrath has been appeased, satisfied to favor for you as sons and daughters. See, that allows the just God to remain just. He can't defy his character. And is able to declare repentant sinners to be justified. What does justified mean? Just I have never sinned. Hear that, kids? What does it mean to be justified before God? Jesus treats me just as if I have never sinned. He sees us as perfect like Jesus Christ himself, the sinless one. 2 Corinthians 5.21, signature text on why Jesus Christ died is this. He made him who knew no sin. God the Father treated Jesus as if he was a sinner. On our behalf, he punished Jesus Christ on the cross, poured out his holy wrath on Jesus Christ, his son. On our behalf, brothers and sisters, so that we might become the righteousness of God in him, so that we could be declared righteous, right? Someone had to pay the price, and that was Jesus Christ. Now, as a savior, this is a question, church. As a Savior hung on the cross 2,000 years ago, what was going on in his mind? Of course, you can understand the mysteries of the divine, right? But God gives us some clues in his word. What was he thinking, church? When you, have you thought about that before? What was Christ thinking as he hung on the cross? As the nails are holding him up. As a spear was being jammed into his side. As people are mocking him. As he's being betrayed by the majority of his friends. With just a few faithful at the, at the footstep of the cross. What is going through his mind? Well, here are some clues that the Bible gives us. John 10, 11 says this. John 10, 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He came to die for the sheep. John 15, 13 says this, Greater love has no one than this, that one lay down his life for his friends. I don't know everything that he was thinking. No one knows that. But I know this, he had you and me in mind, brothers and sisters, Christians. He had you and me in mind while he was hanging on the cross, getting ready to experience the wrath of the Father. He had the sheep, his sheep and his friends in mind. The chosen apostles and everyone who would trust in him through the apostles' words. It was a personal death. It was a personal death. This is not some random death where I'm dying for a faceless group of people. He was thinking about you and me. However, this wasn't the end. Verse three says that he presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs. To these, he goes personally to the apostles, and, and this is interesting because this kind of this convicted me because he spent time with these three or, or these these twelve for three years. He's resurrected from the grave, and then he goes to spend most of his time with the 12 again, or the 11. Judas proved to be a false apostle. This shows you how much I know. Because if it were me, if if this happened in modern day, I'd be on live television network. I'd be hanging out with the famous and rich people, all the influencers of our days. Hey, tell people that I'm alive. So in Jesus' day, I would have thought he would have probably hung out with the Caesar of Rome, perhaps, King Herod, high priest. No, 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 no. He hangs out with his crew, his personal picks. He was saying, I'm going to undergird and equip these men to do the work that I called them to do. God is, has his own way. He doesn't think like we do. He has, his ways are higher than our ways. And as he presented himself alive, there have been many theories to refute this, right? I mean, here's a, just a handful of them, Just a couple, to attack the bodily resurrection of Christ. One theory is that he was just some kind of a spirit. His body is still dead, but he, 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 was, a, he was floating around like a, like a phantom. Another one they call the swoon theory, where Jesus after taking all that abuse, somehow survive and he was alive as they wrapped him up in 70 pounds of, 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 of wrappings. And somehow he's able to get out of that and push this stone open and walk out and, and act like he's healthy again. The swoon theory. Another theory, which the Jews talked about, is that the disciples came and stole his body. That's why the tomb was empty. The disciples came and stole the body, defeated these Roman cohorts, and got the body out of there. And then another one, which is a kind of a comical one, that they say is the hallucination theory, where everyone who saw him was hallucinating. I was like, okay. Well, Doctor Luke, who wrote Acts, he understood death very well. Okay, he understood the permanent nature of death, and Doctor Luke writes here that he appeared with by many convincing proofs, empirical evidence, physical proof. And in 1 John 1, 1, John the Apostle says that we heard, we seen, and touched the risen Lord. This is a requirement for the Apostles. If you wanted to be an Apostle of Jesus Christ, one of the requirements is you have to have seen the resurrected Lord. And there are many personal eyewitness accounts of the resurrected Lord. In Luke 24, he appears to to the Apostles, and guess what they said? Is it a ghost? Is that really you, Jesus? I don't know. I see you, but how can this be? And then he goes, look, touch my hands and my feet. And he says, I'm hungry. So they gave him some broiled fish, and they had a meal together. Right, So he could eat. I don't know if he needs the food. I don't think he needs the food, but he ate with them. And then another account, John 20, Jesus' glorified risen body is able to go through a locked Door or locked room, and hang out with the disciples again. And once again, he goes, "Look at my hands and my feet." And then, roughly a week later, he shows Thomas, the disciple Thomas. He goes, "Look, touch my hands, touch my side." And then, at the, on the ocean, on the shores of Galilee, he broiled some fish and he had a, had some breakfast with them. Evidence, evidence. Now, did could all these people have hallucinated? Well, 1 Corinthians 15 says that he appeared to more than 500 people at one time. That's a big hallucination. Nah. They're reaching, they're grabbing. The enemy is grabbing, isn't he? 500 people at one time saw the risen Lord. Over 500 people saw him at the same time. But it was critical why the Lord spent time with the apostles because the apostles needed to see Hear and touch the risen Lord. They need this burning conviction. Jesus, you are alive. Jesus, you are alive. They need this rock-solid conviction that Jesus is the risen Lord, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. He is the creator of all things. He holds the keys to death and Hades, the resurrected Lord. And he spent time talking to them about the kingdom of God while he was alive resurrected. In essence, how one enters the kingdom of heaven, how one enters the, the family of God, how one enters the flock of God, how one re- escapes death into salvation, how God will expand his rule and reign in the hearts of men and women, and he was preparing them for a work to come. Now, going back to Adi I. Cowell, what happened in 1978 is this. He didn't get lost at sea as a lifeguard or as a surfer. He joined the Hokulea voyage. Hokulea village. This is uh, an attempt to embrace the, the Polynesian heritage and roots. And they journeyed on a boat without modern technology... ...using ancient Polynesian navigation techniques to travel from Hawaii to Tahiti. This is 2,500 mile journey. This is an incredible journey. It takes over 30 days to travel without modern technology. And this team of of, of sailors and navigators and swimmers had all the right convictions. (laughs) let's, Let's develop greater pride for our Polynesian heritage. We could do this. This has been done before by our ancestors. And they went out. And they had the training, they trained hard, they had the knowledge. but one thing was necessary: the proper power. And instead of the wind working for them, the wind worked against them, and the boat was capsized, and they were lost. And ADICAW left the group to look for help. That remaining group was found, and sadly, they never found ADICA again. this is critical. The apostles had the right conviction and the training at this point now. They've seen the risen Lord. They're taught by the risen Lord. They have the greatest teacher. But all the right conviction and preparation without the proper power will not not accomplish the Lord's plans. Power. Therefore, the Savior gave them, gives us his personal power. Point number three. Let's read verse 4 and 5. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard of from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he gathered them together. He goes, Hold on now. I know you're chomping at the bit to get going here. Hold on now. You're not ready yet. You're not ready yet. You need to have the same power that was energizing me during my earthly ministry to be successful, to be obedient, to do the work that I've called you to do. See, the incarnated Lord, personal source of power, was the Holy Spirit. Number one, He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Number two, at His baptism, the Holy Spirit descended upon the Lord and Acts. And Acts 10.38 says this. You know of Jesus of Nazareth. Acts 10.38. You know of Jesus of Nazareth. How God anointed him. With what? With the Holy Spirit and with power. With power. And how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. For God was with him. You see, church family, the apostles needed the power of God. And it says that they were to be baptized, immersed, or united with the Holy Spirit. Not only did they get to be with God, they get to be one with God. And so the apostles were like, okay, all right, we're listening. But this is an interesting verb tense here. In verse 5 you will be baptized. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's in the passive tense, meaning, in other words, this will be done to you. You don't have to do anything. Just wait on the Lord, and He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Just get ready to receive. Verse 8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The third member of the Godhead will become one with you. Are you kidding me? And there's not many days from now. Just 10 days later, the Holy Spirit will come upon the church, and the church will never be the same again. Now think about that, church. This personal Savior gives us his personal source of power. Who does that? The same power source, the Holy Spirit, who energized Jesus throughout his earthly ministry is given to empower the apostles and, and, and to every believer, you and I, to this day, to do the work that he has called us to do. Just 10 days later, boom! Things were never the same again. God gives us his personal power, the Savior. Now, what could be so important that he would give us his own personal power? What could be so important that he would invest this type of uh, resources to you and me well because the savior gave his personal purpose this is the fourth point personal purpose verse six says this so when they had come together they were asking him saying lord is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to israel now this is an interesting question is that what you would ask after all that? Well, that's what the disciples had on their mind. They were asking him. This is, a, this is a repeated question. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom back to Israel now? Is this the time? In other words, church, they're asking him, are we finished? Now that all the hard stuff has passed us, are we set now? Is, is this it? Right? Do we get to enjoy this restored kingdom now? Yes. How many of us think like this? You know, it's Easter. Jesus is resurrected. I'm forgiven of my sins. I'm saved. I could focus on living my own life. It's time to cruise and just be. How many of us think this way? How many of us think this way? Well, perhaps the disciples were... Tempted to think this way, like, as if okay, we're set now. We are with you, we're part of your kingdom. Great, great. Well, Jesus gently answers them. He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs or seasons which the Father has fixed by his own authority. It's not time yet for all that. We're not at the finish line yet. I just got the ball rolling. Now it's time for you, apostles, to take over. It's like he hands him off the baton and go, run now, stick, you stick out your hand, get the baton, and you start running, disciples. This is not that time. Verse 8 says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth, to the ends of the earth. See, you receive power Jesus is telling you'll receive power. Telling us you'll receive power. See when, when truth is infused, with divine power smoldering wicks are emblazed into fiery torches. Distracted students and disciples were were had laser became laser focused teachers. Cowering disciples would become bold evangelists. So this is critical that we understand that they were completely changed once the Holy Spirit came. And that same power source is available to you and me now. He lives within you and me. And the the Lord says, you would be my witnesses. Martyrs. This is the word that we get for martyrs. Why do they use this word for martyrs? Because so many early witnesses received persecution. According to Fox's book of Martyrs, all but one apostle died early. They all died through crucifixion, some upside down, some were stoned to death. These are the chosen 12. Some were beheaded, some died by the sword, some were speared to death, some were killed by arrows. Today, many witnesses are being persecuted around the world. Persecution is going to ramp up in our nation. We know this. You can see it coming. All the signs are there. What is it going to take to be bold and courageous? What is it going to be take to be and laser-focused for the Lord? What is it going to take to have divine power within us? it's it's He lives in us. And they're called to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. Now where does it start here? Does it say go to the ends of the earth? No. Does it go to Samaria? No. Does it go to... It starts up in Jerusalem where they're at. Church family. How power happens is where you're at right now. If you're sitting here thinking, well, if my circumstances were different or if I go to, to the ends of the earth, then I'll become a bold Christian, that's probably not going to happen. It's like an epicenter. It's like like an earthquake. The epicenter starts where you're at right now, and then perhaps the Lord will move you to go wider wider and wider and wider and wider and wider. That's how this works. We need to be faithful right now where we're at. This is why at Evergreen Church, we're focusing on La Puente. Providentially, this is where our church site is located. So as a corporate church, we focus in on our physical site. But Christians, where you live... Your own Jerusalem. This is where you're called to be a witness for Christ. Be a witness for Christ. Why is there powerlessness in the church today? People have asked that before, and I read something about that. Why is there powerlessness in the church today? I mean, the the, the, the orders in the, the commands are pretty clear. This is this is not a complicated thing, what the Lord is calling us to do. Perhaps the church lacks power because we do not know the risen Lord very well. After all, how how do you witness about somebody that you don't know? You have an idea about him, you have a thought about him, but you don't know him very well. One needs a personal knowing of the risen Lord. Robert Murray McShane, Scottish pastor, training some of his young ministers, and he said this. He talked about the saber, the saber or sword. How diligently the Calvary officer keeps his saber clean and sharp. Every stain he rubs off with the greatest care, remembering you are God's sword, his instrument, a trusted and chosen vessel unto him to bear his name, to witness for him. We're his sword. In great measure, according to, To the purity and perfection of the instrument will be the success. Meaning how pure the the sword is is how effective it's going to be. Isn't great talent God blesses so much? This is very important now. It isn't about the talent, Murray McShane says. So much as great likeness to Jesus Christ. A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hands of God. Isn't that amazing? A holy minister is an awful weapon in the hands of God. Robert Murray McShane is basically saying, you got to know Him more. The more you know Him, the more you become like Him. The more you know Him, you're going to talk like Him. The more you know Him, you're going to think like Him and want the same things that God wants. How does that happen? Well, the Bible says, by the washing with the Word. Jesus prays that, that the disciples will be sanctified, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is what? True. The word of God. And Jesus says, Take this message to the ends of the earth and go. The baton has been handed off to you, disciples. From the perfect one to imperfect people. From the author of good news to broken messengers like you and me. And if you feel like you're broken... God has you exactly where He wants you because that's when He could use you. That's when we rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. This is when we don't rely on our own giftings and our own ambitions and our own uh, experience. Lord, all right, I see what you're telling me to do. Help me to submit. Give me the power. This is about you. This is not about me. So anything that's accomplished, we could never take credit for. This is all about God. And isn't it amazing? I mean, when we look at the apostles back then, we think, looking 2,000 years backwards, we think, wow, isn't that amazing? These courageous men and women who took the gospel message during that time. They were just ordinary, ordinary men and women who believed and were empowered by the power of God. to, in, Who were entrusted with his own purpose to keep going. And guess what? There are faithful men and women who kept passing that baton over the last 2,000 years, and then to us today, 2022, now we have the baton. And our role is to continue to pass it on, pass it on, pass it on, pass it on, until, until the next portion happens. See, this is a high calling. This is an absolute high calling. There's nothing greater than we could do than be passing on the message of Jesus Christ to the next generation. Particularly for those around us right now. Who comes to mind right now in your own Jerusalem who, know, who need to know Christ? Who in your mind comes to right now? Pray for his or her soul. Pray for a winsome opportunity to preach the gospel to them. Pray that you will be a good witness So when they see you, they see Christ in you, right? This is the heart of the Father. This is a high calling, and and therefore it's going to require the highest level of motivation. Therefore, the Savior gave us, fifth and finally, His personal promise. Personal promise. Look what it says here, verse nine. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received them out of their sight. Jesus gives us instruction to be his witnesses, and according to Acts, he's taken up into the sky. And they were looking on; a cloud received them out of their sight. Verse ten says, as they were gazing, I could imagine with their mouths wide open stargazing like, Lord, you're leaving us now. After all that, what happens? Two men in white clothing, angels, messenger angels, stood beside them. And what do they say? Men of Galilee, what are you doing just staring at the sky? Let's get to work. That's what they're telling them. Let's get to work. Let's prepare to receive the Holy Spirit because He's coming back again in the same way. Now, if you needed motivation, there it is Jesus Christ is returning. That's a promise that He's made. And perhaps some have said, well, He's been gone for 2,000 years. We've been talking about His return for 2,000 years. Is He really coming back? Well, 2 Peter 3 8 and 9 says, A thousand years, but a day in heaven. He's been gone for almost two days. Not even two days. Yet. We haven't really reached 2,000 years yet. He's been gone for almost two days in heaven. That's not that long. That's not that long. And that's the motivation that God gives us that he is coming back. This is a promise. Revelation twenty two twelve 12 says this Behold, this is the, Lord, the word of the Lord. I am coming quickly, I'm co- two days. Maybe three days. I don't know. Maybe somewhere in between. Maybe longer. Behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. Jesus Christ is coming back with his rewards. He's coming back to reward those who have been faithful to him. Matthew 24, 30 says this, And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then, guess what's going to happen? Matthew twenty four thirty says this, and then all the tribes of the earth would mourn. This is a day of reckoning too. When Christ comes back, Christ is going to terrify the non-believers. Oh no, He did did come back like He said He would. All the tribes, all the nations, all, all the power of the world will mourn. It's like, oh no, we were wrong. However, Look what happens. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds, just like the angel said, like the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet. And what are they going to do? They will gather together his elect, those who he has chosen. That's you and me, the church, the Christians, from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Jesus Christ is coming back to gather up his people but also to execute judgment on those who aren't part of his family. Let's look at John 14. John 14 says this, "This These are all promises from the Lord. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. Verse 3, Jesus Christ right now is preparing a room for you and me right now in the Father's home. And if I go and prepare a place for you, look at the promise. I will come again and receive you to myself, and where I am, there you may be also. Jesus Christ gave us his personal promise that he is coming back. And in the meantime, our role is to do what? Be faithful. Just be faithful in the sphere that God has given us to witness. It could, your Jerusalem. Perhaps he takes you wider. Perhaps he takes you wider. Perhaps he takes you further to the ends of the earth. But everybody has a Jerusalem. And it's clear that Jesus Christ is coming back. In no unclear terms, I take you through those scriptures because I want you to believe the word of the Lord, not me. I want you to see clearly that this is what Jesus Christ has promised, that he's coming back. And the question is this, though. That's not the question. That's happening. The question is this. Is Jesus Christ coming back for you? That's the question. And I know many of us are saying, yes, by God's grace he is. Yes. But I know many are saying, I don't know. And many are saying, according to what you preach, preacher, no. Well, this is good news. This is why you're here. To know the personal Savior, simple. Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. That's a command at Mark chapter 1. Repent and believe in the gospel. What is gospel? It simply means good news. I like to say greatest news because you can be forgiven of your sins and sinners are in a bad place because sinners are at odds with God. This is what the Bible says. And the eminent judgment is coming upon sinners. When he comes back in the clouds, he will judge sinners. And the good news is this we get to be at peace with God through Jesus Christ. What else matters? So it says, repent. Our Lord says to repent. That means turn from your sins, turn from your living for yourselves. And turn and follow Jesus Christ as Lord. That's what he's saying. And to trust or believe in the gospel. Trust that Christ, God himself, died for your sins. Upon the cross, he took on the Father's wrath. And he paid the price that none of us could afford to pay. Not one of us could afford to pay. And believe that Jesus Christ rose from the grave. That's why we celebrate Easter. That's why even the non-believing world acknowledges Easter. That Christ resurrected from the grave. And he's alive. And he's coming back. Therefore, commit your lives to following him, friend. If you're thinking right now, wow, what an intense message. Well, it ends with good news. You could escape eternal judgment and enter into eternal life. You could escape being an enemy to God to becoming a friend, even a son or daughter of God. You could be transformed from being spiritual orphans to sons, adopted sons and daughters of God himself. You'll be transformed in an instant. Have you entrusted your life to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? People ask me, what are you going to preach on Easter? (laughs) What else can you preach about the gospel? Right? This is what we want to preach every Sunday, particularly this Lord's Day. And the Bible says this, the world is passing away along with its desires and lusts. But the one who does the will of God will live forever. And what is the commandment or the will of God? Jesus says, repent and believe in the gospel. That's it. And you may be thinking to yourself, "Man, Pastor, you don't know me. I used to be a young man. You don't know me, what I've done when I was younger. I used to be in college. You don't know me when I was single, right? Well, guess what? Who is this invitation open to? Jesus said, I came to seek and save the lost. Jesus said, I have come to call, not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. By the way, all of us need to repent. Jesus says, there will be more joy in heaven over one who one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Blinded. Jesus says, I certainly, look at this promise, I certainly will not cast away anyone who comes to me. Come to Christ. I will not cast you away, he says. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. The good shepherd says this, I give eternal life to them. The good shepherd says, and they will never perish, because I hold them in my arms. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Friends, do you hear the word? The voice of the shepherd today is he calling you today is this resonating with you today is your hearts burning today is your heart pierced or pricked by the word of the lord is the spirit of god knocking on the heart of your door of your heart right now if so today is the day you come into the kingdom of god if so today is the day where you get a new name if so you're a new creation If so, the Spirit of God has come upon you and given you rebirth. If so, the Spirit of God has given you blind eyes to spiritually eyes to see. You are once deaf, now you can hear the good news. Now you can hear the message of the Good Shepherd. Friends, nothing else matters than this, to give your life to Christ, to trust Him, to live for Him, to live for eternity and forget about today. All we're called to do is live for Him and enjoy Him as our Lord and Savior. It is a free gift, but once you receive that gift, you're never the same. You want to live for the Lord Himself. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You for uh, Your plan of salvation. Thank You for redeeming Your children by sending Your one and only Son. Thank you, Jesus, for living the perfect life, the righteous life. Thank you for giving up your life according to the predestined plan of the Father. Thank you for the forgiveness of sins that which you offer through the cross. Jesus, we know and exalt and believe that you are alive, sitting at the right hand of the Father, interceding for the saints right now. We believe this with all our heart because your word said so. Father, I pray that you would give life, spiritual rebirth to the spiritually dead right now. Please give spiritual eyes so they could see you, Jesus, in all your glory. Give them spiritual ears so they could hear the word of the shepherd speaking to them right now, that they will come to you, that they will turn away from their lives and turn to you as their Lord and shepherd. Thank you, Jesus, that you promise to return for us, your people. And Father, I pray for those whose hearts have been pricked, they will tell one of the pastors. They will tell the person that invited them so that we could walk alongside them. I pray they would know that this is a family. This is a flock. This is a kingdom. This is not an individual experience. That they just join the greatest family of all, your family. I pray, Lord, that you give them the boldness to speak and tell, pe- tell others about what happened into their hearts today. Father, I pray, Lord, that the personal nature of who you are would encourage the sheep today. Just like the courageous apostles were once afraid and timid, but once they saw you, they became emboldened on fire for you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would encourage us like that. That you allow us to be powerful witnesses for you. That we will count the days. And we will tremble at the days as they go by. Because one day goes by, we're one day closer to your return. I pray we will take your command, your great commission seriously. And we will be consumed with this passion to see more and more people come to know you. To, the passion to see more and more of your sheep to become more sanctified and edified. To see more sheep evangelizing and edifying one another. To see lives being transformed. To see your rule and reign in the hearts of men and women and children all around the world starting from our own Jerusalem, starting from our own homes. Lord, will you do this? We pray for a mighty work to take place in our hearts, starting from our hearts into whoever you give us to minister to. So thank you, Father, for your good news. Thank you for your son. Thank you, Lord, for your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.